I'm going to talk about generational Christianity. Generational Christianity. I personally am a second-generation Christian. My son is a third-generation Christian. His children, three children, all three of them claim to be Christian. They are fourth-generational Christians. How do Christians multiply? Well, typically, we do not multiply generationally. We have to each individually come to Christ with our sin and the sin question and his savior and him being the savior and be saved. And I'll speak about that. I want to read a few verses and you tell me if you can what they have in common. Acts chapter 4 verse 20 says, "For we cannot we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard." Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 that I may know him the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, be made conformable unto his death. And then Judges, chapter 2, verse 10, and also all that generation were gathered under their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. What in the world do these four verses have, these verses have in common, three verses have in common? Doesn't seem like they relate at all, but they do, and hopefully by the end of this you'll understand that. For we cannot but speak the things which we have heard and we have seen and heard. That's it. that's your first generational Christian. Uh, he has uh, been out in the world, and he hears about Jesus, the apostles, the people in the Book of Acts heard about Jesus. Him being the Savior of the world, He's the Christ, the Son of the living God, they got saved. They turned away from their old way of life and what they were doing, turned under Christ, that's repentance, and placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as who He said He was. And God birthed them into the family and told them to go out into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, they, starting with the apostles, there's only 11 of them. Eventually, there got to be 12 with Paul, I believe. But uh, there's only 11 of them. They said, go to the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's a big job for 11 people. Now, you got, you got to do something. You got to do something supersonically spectacular through us to make that happen. And God was willing to do that. And they saw it happen. They saw it happen. They said, we cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard. That's being a witness, and that's really what a witness is. If you're asked to go to court to be a witness, and you haven't seen or heard it, you can't be a witness. Does that make sense to you? Brother uh, Thomas was hit. He went out in the red light. He went out in the green light, I mean, and the guy ran the red light and hit Thomas in the car the other day. And God had mercy on Gospel Baptist Church by not letting him get hit badly because he was in one of them little death traps. And a guy in a pickup truck swiped the front of his vehicle, praise God for that, didn't hit him in the side. And... Uh, Behind him, if I remember right, was Chris Barrows, and behind him was Chris Barton, if I think so. He had two eyewitnesses. So if you go to court on that and they say, did you see the wreck? They'd say, yes, I was behind him. I saw the wreck. I saw what happened. You'd be credible. But if you said, well, uh, Thomas told me this what happened, how credible would you be? They'd throw you out. And so you can't you can't be you can't testify to this. You haven't seen it, you haven't heard it. And then another verse that related I spoke about was Philippians three ten. That I Paul, this is one of the man. This is a classical passage. 
I've preached on it a lot of different ways, not today, but I've preached on it. That I may know him, the power of his resurrection, fellowship of his suffering, be made conformable unto his death. The word know means to, gnosko means to experientially know. That you, don't, you didn't know by Thomas telling you. You knew because you were there, you saw it, and you heard it. You were sure of it. It was not hearsay. It was proven to be true to you. Paul said, I don't want somebody else to tell me how great God is. I want to know how great God is by him working through me. And I mean, how many have we got in this room today that want God to do something through you? You don't want to believe in Jesus just because I said he's great or just because a preacher said he's great or some witness said he was great. You want to believe in the great God, the Lord Jesus Christ, because You've seen he's great. How many want that? I hope you want it. The power there is an interesting word. It's dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite, the power of God. He wanted to, uh, Paul wanted to know the Lord Jesus experientially. He wanted to have the dynamite of God's Holy Spirit in him doing a work that could only be explained by the fact that God did it. And it said he wanted to fellowship. He said, I want the fellowship of his suffering. The word fellowship means partnership, participation. He wanted, he wanted to be in the same ship with Jesus, fellowship, two fellows in a ship. He wanted to be with, he wanted, it to, he wanted to be part of the action where the heat was at. That I, and being, this is amazing, fellowship of his sufferings, but being made conformable unto his death. The word conformable means it's got the word sumorphous is actually the Greek word, morphous, more metamorphous. You heard of metamorphous. It means, morphous, it means to be jointly formed. It wants to be jointly formed together with Christ. And what, what, a, what a request. Why? Because Paul was a first-generation Christian. Paul was a first-generation. He didn't want the apostles, which are great, to tell him about Jesus. He wanted to, and of course, he got it directly from the Lord Jesus Christ, got saved in the road to Damascus, and so he got saved, and he had all these things, and he wanted them because that's what makes you do what Paul did. Makes you be bold as a lion. Christianity, if I make make this bold statement this morning, Christianity is just one generation away from losing our touch with reality, our vitality, and our focus. As I read in Judges chapter 2, uh, in the Old Testament, after Moses and Joshua and all those who had been and seen the wonderful works of God that he did by pulling them out of Egypt and, the, and allowing them to conquer the promised land, seeing how God worked, uh, after, after that generation passed away, Israel began its long journey to total apostasy and destruction. Basically, I just read you the whole Old Testament. Let me read it. In Judges chapter 2, verse 7, the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And also all that generation were gathered under their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And it goes on to have a long laundry list of horror. That's pretty much the testimony of the Old Testament as it gives what happened to Israel. 
over and over and over again. They would have little times of revival, and then they would go back into apostasy. The problem why Christianity just doesn't, if you would plot Christianity or, or the historical Christianity, it would be like this. It wouldn't be like this. And why it doesn't go smoothly like that is because the passing of down from generation to generation doesn't always go very smoothly. As you see, it didn't go very smoothly with the children of Israel. Why? Is because faith does not accrue in Christianity. I would love the faith that God has allowed me to have and exercise in my life to accrue and I be able to give that to my son Troy. But that cannot happen. It does not happen, cannot happen. I would like to take what the, the, the power that I've seen, the dunamis that I've seen God do in my life and through me and in, in this, through the Holy Spirit, and I'd love to, as an inheritance, give that to my children, but I can't do that. Faith has to always be first generational. It cannot be passed down. Each generation must place their faith in Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. And each generation must test his word through life to prove that it is true. You cannot just believe that the Bible's true by verbiage. That's the way we first get introduced to it. But after you get saved, then God must do something in you and through you, and you must experience the fellowship, the sumorphous, the combining together, the jointly working of God in you, in your life. This is what Paul meant when he said to know him experientially. The generation that followed Moses and Joshua and the elders of, of the people, the children of Israel, did not make God theirs. They did not make God their God. They did not make Jehovah God their God, generally speaking, overall. They retreated into homes that were built by men of faith. They farmed land that was won by men of faith. They did business in stores that were bought and struggled with by men of faith. They drank water from wells that were dug by men of faith. They lived in walled cities that were won by men of faith. They enjoyed what someone else struggled for, what someone else suffered for, what someone else prayed for, what someone else risked their life for. Consequently, they didn't appreciate it, did they? Didn't appreciate it. The best way to ruin your child is to give them everything. And God's people say it. They have to struggle like you struggled for the victory is in the struggle. The surety is in the struggle. The children of Israel lost their faith because they had not experienced the kind of relationship 
with God that Moses and Joshua and the elders had. They lost it. And you know their history. You know their history. They apostatized. We cannot but speak that which we have seen and heard, and that goes for Janelle as well as it goes for Tom Gillespie and your daughter, whatever her name is. God has humbled me in life a lot of different ways. One way he's humbled me is he's not given me a good memory of names. I really, really, really struggle with remembering names. I suppose the only name I really need to remember is Jesus. I think R.G. Lee was dying on his bed. and old Hal, uh, I heard the story from Jack Hiles, went to visit him. And, and, and R.G. Lee had pretty much lost his mind, you know. He didn't know who, he didn't know who was who and... He lived, he lived old, and he lost his mind. It was humbling for a man with such a phenomenal mind. And Jack, I was a little bit afraid to go see him because he's afraid he wouldn't recognize him. And when he went in the room, uh, O.R.G. Lee didn't know who Jack House was. I don't know him. He says, Jack House said, do you know Jesus? Oh, he says, he's my Savior and Lord, and went off on some memorized, beautiful, beautiful rendition of who Jesus was. He said, that's really all you need to remember is who Jesus is. But if you know who Jesus is, experientially, with power, and conform to his suffering, and you're willing to die for him. You'll be willing to give for him. You'll be willing to live for him. And do everything you need to do that God asks you to do. My dad and mom were saved at 33 years old. My dad was a prize fighter, Marine, World War II Marine, Saipan Tinian, Okinawa. He was a prize fighter. He won Golden Gloves in Chicago in 1939. That was a big deal back then. And... Uh, Tough guy. My mom raised poor, depression, picked, picked asparagus for 25 cents an hour out in the hot sun. How many times did she tell me that? Walked to school five miles uphill both ways in the snow, even in the summer. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but she had it tough. My dad had hand-me-down, eight children, drunken father, no food, a lot of times just enough food to feed the adults, not the children. Wore hand-me-down clothes, it was tough. I mean, from what he described to me, it would be tough. It would be real tough, real tough. But those tough times of the Depression raised what we call, and has been called, the greatest generation which we're getting prepared by God to face one of the greatest challenges that the United States has ever faced. That was the Axis powers, Germany and Japan combined, which were fixed pretty much to take the world over. They saw God take away. When they got saved, they, they were smoking and drinking and doing various things that unsaved people do. Had three beautiful boys. And uh, had a successful business, 
had six employees and successful business going well. Everything was going well for them, except they weren't saved. My dad felt a big hole in his heart. Felt like there had to be something more than just working, attaining stuff, and dying. And I declare to you this morning, there is something much better than that. So he got saved. He went down to a little local fundamental church down the road and attended for three Sundays. And the fourth Sunday, or after the third Sunday, asked him to come over. Harold Hofflinger was his name. I can remember that. Harold Hofflinger was his name. And he came over, and Harold Hofflinger was a bank robber. They'd gotten saved. He was in the top 10 wanted FBI list years ago. They used to do that. Now they got Trump on the top of that. But anyways, uh, <laughs> the FBI, you know, uh, was wanting this guy, and he got, he, got, he got thrown in jail for 10 years. And he got, he got saved in jail, praise God, for prison ministry. Of course, nobody believes the people in jail really get saved. They get out, and he got out, pastor of the church. Glory to God, pastor of the church that my dad happened to go to. And he was a tough boy himself, and that was the right kind of guy for my dad. He came over, led both my mom and dad to Christ. I remember they said they knelt down at their sofa and asked Jesus to save them. That was in 1953. They saw God take away their cigarettes. They saw God take away the booze. They saw God cause them to want to attend church three times a week. They remembered clearly what they used to be and how great a difference there had been in their life. What a change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my life. Their faith was vital. It was powerful. And it was real. And it was worth dying for. First generational. First generational. Then comes Jim Lewis and Bill, or if I may say Billy. Born into Christianity, born into the teaching. First time I went to church, two years old. Born into Bible preaching, born into church attendance. No personal application, no personal sacrifice, no personal demonstration of God's power, just teaching and being taught how great God was and is, just hearing the Bible stories and lessons on how great God was. Consequently, God was not impactive on us. And we apostatized. All three boys got to be about 18 years old, didn't want to. 16, actually more younger than that, 16, 15, 16, 17. We didn't want to live for God anymore. It was just hearsay. Faith. Hearsay faith. And we apostatized and drifted away from the faith. I believe this is the reason Christian children often fall away from first-generational moms and dads because they do not have experiential faith only verbal faith. But each generation must have and needs the struggles and the challenges and the heartaches and the risks and the visual experiential understanding of who God really is to survive. The onslaught of the devil, the fiery darts that he will throw, inevitably will throw at you. Nobody gets out of this thing without the devil throwing his fiery darts at you. 
There are young people, and the young people today are no different than young people yesterday or the day before. Young people want to give their lives for something that counts, something real. They want to be challenged. They want to be stretched. They want to be scared. You don't believe that? Look how they like the roller coaster rides. They want to suffer if it's real and worth dying for. And if we don't give them something to invest their lives in, to die for, they will be like the Israelites after Moses and Joshua died and the elders of Israel died. They won't know why they should live for Jesus. There won't be anything inside to make them be willing to do what the generation did. They will simply accept what's been given to them and never have a vital faith that speaks of what it has seen and heard. And what do we call that? Dead orthodoxy. This is why you have so many dead denominations today that at one time were on fire for God. The Methodist church at one time was the leading evangelistic church in the United States on fire for God, soul winners willing to do the will of God, whatever the price. Old Wesley rode a horse for 50 years. Brother, you don't ride a horse without suffering. You people think horseback riding is romantic. You just haven't ridden enough horses. A horse is set to kill you. That's his mission in life. This is why good on fire, solid, red-hot churches full of people that know God by experience turn in one generation to cold, formal, quiet, intellectually accenting houses of worship rather than soul-winning stations. Why they give up their door-to-door? Why they give up the bus ministry? Why they give up their track ministry? Why they give up their Bible reading ministry? Because it's too inconvenient. But if you've got Jesus in your heart and you've seen and heard it and you know him, whom to know is life everlasting, you want to give your life. You're privileged to give your life. You're thrilled to give your life. How do you find people willing to do the bus ministry, get here at 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, drive a hot, not hot today, but hot most of the year, a sweaty hot bus and with a bunch of of kids that, that I'll be honest with you, we we try to pick up the worst kids possible. Now, we don't always succeed. Once in a while, we pick up some good kids. But most of the time, we're hunting for the kids that nobody wants but Jesus. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Pastor Crabb was a bus kid. If we give them something to invest themselves in, If we, don't, if we don't give them, if, let me say it this way, if we don't give them something 
that's real and to invest their life in, they'll find something to invest their life in. What is that? Well, they'll invest their life in uh, work, uh, some other venture, pleasure, fun, sports, sex, drugs, rock music, making money, which will waste their lives if God's not in it. You see it every day. I believe we need to challenge our young people to be missionaries, to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now let me say something and qualify that. I am a God-called missionary to Bonita Springs. Geography does not make a missionary. You understand that? Just because somebody goes overseas don't make him a missionary. He better be a missionary before he ever goes overseas. He better care about his local... It's not right to let your local bus kids go to hell, and, but, but care more about somebody over in France. You better care about the bus kids right here, and then God may call you to go to France and care about the bus kids over there. But brother... Wherever there's a pocket of sin, there's a mission field, and the nearest Christian to it's a missionary. When I first moved down here, this place was sun and the fun. There was only two independent fundamental Bible-believing churches in our area. Uh, there, there were a lot of other churches, not many that many other churches, but there were a few other churches. This place was tough. This was a place, a graveyard for new churches. I'm a missionary. I'm laying my life down. I should say maybe I've laid my life down. At 70, I've almost laid everything down I can lay down. I've laid down everything I know to lay down to see Jesus lifted up. Now you electricians out there can lay everything you can lay down but see, and still be an electrician and lift Jesus up. It's your first generation. Because as a first-generational Christian, as an electrician, or as a boat captain, or as a veterinarian, or as a police officer, or as a carpenter, or as a concrete guy, you're, Jesus is always number one. And then you're something else. Jesus is my main focus in life, and I do plumbing. Jesus is my main focus in life, and I do electrical work. Jesus is my, my main focus in life, and I do some other work. But he's number one, first generational. Christ will not accept being an add-on in your life. He's got to be number one. First commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Makes sense, right? The greatest commandment in the whole Bible is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind, all thy strength. He's got to be number one. Why? Because he's some selfish old man that wants to be number one? No, because he is number one. And you're just conforming to reality. The reality of the universe is there's nothing else but God. 
And you, when you come up with Christ, you basically get in harmony with what's reality. Satan's telling you he's not God. Satan's telling you fun's the best way to live. Satan's telling you Hollywood's the best way to live. That's all a lie. It's in disharmony with reality and must die. It must die. It has to die. Because when all the smoke settles on this whole thing, they'll just be God. And those who came in harmony with him through Jesus Christ, his son. So I believe in challenging young people. Don't make it easy on people. We need to challenge them to be pastors in new churches, homeless directors, anti-abortion organizers, bus captains, soul winners, prison preachers, avid tract distributors, drug rehab directors, foster children, parents, on and on the list could go. Why? We cannot, we cannot but speak that which we have seen and heard. What happens to second generation Christians? They lose oftentimes the experiential part of it. Nice on their faces wondering if God will answer. Days spent in constant prayer with their future in balance. Being ever so close to failure, depending on God to come through. Seeing neighbors saved and relatives saved and friends saved, hard-hearted sinners saved. Woo! It's good to see people saved. Seeing a busload of kids unloading at Sunday school, knowing that if you hadn't gone out there, they wouldn't be coming. Seeing someone get baptized that you knew that if you hadn't talked to them about Jesus and told them about him, they wouldn't be getting baptized. Experiential, personal, real knowledge of God's power. And you want to kill your youth? Give them everything. Give them a church building paid for by somebody else. Give them buses paid for by somebody else. See people getting baptized that somebody else led to Christ. I had a woman come to me, one of our school teachers years ago, and she said, Bill, I'm 30-some years old and I've never led a person to Christ. I don't want to live like this. Oh, I like that. That's hunger. That's the Holy Spirit in her, causing her to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I said, oh, that's so good. And because you've come to me and asked me, just you want to see somebody saved, God is going to make it happen. She looked at me in unbelief, to be honest with you. Okay, preacher, it's going to happen. You start going around and trying to share your testimony, how you got saved with some folks that you see, just as the Holy Spirit leads you. It was that week that she led a, a, a person to Christ at McDonald's. <laughs> There's a God. She came back, preacher, preacher, preacher. 
I went to McDonald's. I've gone to McDonald's thousands of times. She knew a good restaurant when she... And she went to McDonald's. She says, I started talking to this girl, and I didn't know what to say, but I gave her my testimony of salvation. She said, oh, I've been longing for something more. And she got saved, prayed to sinner's prayer, and asked Jesus to save her. I said, bingo! You don't get it till you want it. The reason people oftentimes are so lackluster about the things of God is because they're not in the battle. You got to get up and get in the battle. And we got places for you to go, trust me. We need help. Come door to door. Oh, I'm afraid. Get in the battle. My dad, when Marine, I got to quit here in a minute, but my dad in Marine Corps told me he was on LST uh, getting ready to land on Saipan. He was the fourth wave of Marines that hit Saipan shore. So by the time he got to the shore, the bullets were beginning to hit. They have a big door on the front of those LSTs, and you can hear the bullets bing, 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 hitting those things that if the door was down, would be hitting them. He could hear the bullets going over the top of the thing. It sounded like angry bumblebees, he said. And he heard, he said the men, they were loaded with men. Some were thrown up for being seasick, and they were, they were, the water was coming over the top of the thing. And he said we were, some of them were asked crying out for their mothers. getting ready to let the door down. Said they had 90 pounds of backpack ammunition and guns on their back. The door went down. People began to, he said, the sound of a bullet hitting a body. He'll never forget it. He jumped off into the water. He said the water was right up. He said, have you ever tried to run with water up to your chest? He said rivers of blood were coming down the beach and the water, all the water that they saw was red with blood. He valued freedom. Your Christianity must be real. Must be vital. Don't live this life and miss Jesus, having all the time claimed his name, but you're hollow, you're empty, because you haven't gotten into the battle. Get in the battle for souls. Get in the battle for, we're not playing games at Gospel Baptist Church. This is not a social club. They may function as a social club, wonderful, but that's not our main purpose. My main purpose is not to be friendly and wonderful. I like to be, but my main purpose is to be a servant of God. See people get saved, baptized, join the church, grow in the faith, and duplicate 
a life first generational Christian. Now, maybe in a second generational Christian, I fought, I understand what I'm talking about. Christianity wants to be dead. Orthodoxy. My son fights the same battle. My grandkids fight the same battle. If you go to God like that girl did, say, I want to see somebody saved. He'll let you do it. But you'll never get it if you don't seek it. You tell God you want to be a first-generational Christian, he'll help you. Get ready. It's going to be like that roller coaster ride. It's going to be wild. Father, come to us. Come to us. Help some people today get out of dead orthodoxy and make their Christianity live, functioning, real, hot. Romance. Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.